If you've heard me uh, preach more than a couple times, then you might notice that I use uh, music and movies a lot in my illustrations. Now, I think it's because God has wired uh, me with that kind of creative, you know, mind. And those things are close to my heart. So it's actually what I do for a living. Uh, but also, I use these examples because I know that there's a better chance that you'll remember them, number one. And not only that, but hopefully you'll connect them to a verse or a biblical truth or to Jesus himself. Uh, something else, though, that I bring up uh, in my sermons a lot is the significance of the actual date, the day that I'm preaching. Uh, so, for example, today's April 3rd, 2022. Uh, it is exactly 54 years to the actual day, a Sunday, that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would deliver his last speech, I've been to the mountaintop. Now, I don't believe in coincidence, but I do believe in God's providence and sovereignty. So when Caleb asked me to preach uh, today, of all days, I wondered, what's the significance of that, Lord? Now, if you stick around until the end, I'll answer that question. But only if you stick around to the end. Now, okay, what else is significant about today? As Caleb mentioned, uh, it's exactly one year since our first service together as the new Gateway Church. And praise God for that, right? Now, we've seen a lot over this past year, haven't we? Right? Uh, there's been a lot of growth, right? There's been new friendships. Some have come, some have gone. Uh, some have passed, um, and some have been born. Uh, but bringing two churches together, amen, <laughs> but bringing two churches together is not an easy task, but God has been very gracious to us, so I'm very thankful for that. And we're still working, you know, a lot of things out, and we'll be continue to just, you know, walk this whole thing out together and live this thing out together, and that's what we're supposed to, to do. But a key to that togetherness is that despite our differences in culture, uh, race, age, uh, certain theological beliefs, cultural, uh, church backgrounds, music preferences, style of dress, etc., cetera, um, we are all followers of Christ. We have decided that Jesus is worth more than anything else this world has to offer, and he is the Lord of our lives. We follow him. But in a room like this, you just can't assume that everyone here is sitting next to you is a Christian just because you're sitting in a church service, right? So not everyone here is a follower of Christ. Yes, you. Yes, you know who you are, right? You come here every week or every couple of weeks or every now and then. And... You're welcome here, of course, and we hope you keep coming. But you're not a follower of Christ. You sing the songs, you listen to the sermons, you greet people, and you have small talk after the service, everything. But you're not a believer. You're not a Christian, and you are not a follower of Christ. I want to tell you a story about a woman named Dolores. 
Dolores was a singer who performed at small venues on the West Coast in the early 90s. At some point in her life, Dolores found herself in a dangerous situation after she saw her boyfriend commit a murder. Now, scared for her life, she goes to the police and they put her in witness protection in a convent. Dolores, now disguised as a nun and going by the name Sister Mary Clarence, joins the struggling convent choir and turns it upside down in a good way. Now, if you've caught on already, you know that Dolores isn't a real person at all, and this story isn't a real story either. It's the plot of the movie Sister Act, right? Okay, so Sister Act was released in 1992, and some of the songs from the movie became as popular or more popular than the movie itself. And one of the most famous songs is the last one they sing uh, while the Pope is in the audience. That song is called, I Will Follow Him. Do you remember the lyrics? Okay, well, if you don't, don't worry. I'll help you out. I will follow him, follow him wherever he may go. So the original version of this song is a love song, right? But in the movie, the nuns directed to Jesus. So they're saying, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Nothing will keep me away. There, is, there isn't an ocean too deep or a mountain too high. Nothing will keep me away from you, Jesus. I'll follow you no matter the cost. Is that something you've said? Is that something you thought in your mind or felt in your heart? Maybe you've never said or felt these things. I want you to really think about that because there are only three people in the world and three kinds of people in this room today. Now, no matter who you are, you fall into one of these categories. So one, you follow Jesus. Right? This means that at some point in your life, you heard and responded to the gospel which says that God became a man in the person of Yeshua in Hebrew or Joshua in English or Jesus in Greek. He lived a perfect sinless life, went to the cross, taking on the weight and punishment for your sin and giving you his righteousness. He died on that cross and this satisfied God's righteous requirement of death for sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And if you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you will have eternal life. If you follow Jesus, this is what you know to be true. This is what you live by. Or you might be the second kind of person. You don't follow Jesus. You may have heard the gospel at one point in your life, but you completely rejected it. Or 
we never actually heard the true gospel at all. So maybe the time that I just said the gospel right now might be the first time you actually heard the true gospel. Now, if this is you, you might think that religion in general is something that people use to comfort themselves uh, when they think about what happens to them after they die. You follow logic, reason, and science, and Jesus doesn't seem to fall in those categories to you. And the third category is the person that's on the fence. You don't really claim to follow anything, and you're skeptical about Jesus, and you're unsure whether you follow Jesus or not. You might be the person who went to church as a kid and maybe even got baptized, but once you got old enough to make your own decisions about church, you just stopped going. You might be the I'm spiritual but not religious type of person. No matter which category you fall into, what Jesus says in the passage we'll be looking into today will give you a different idea and perspective on what it means to follow Jesus. Now, this passage comes from the Gospel of Luke. The book of Luke is called a gospel, along with Matthew, Mark, and John, because it covers the life and ministry of Jesus. Luke 9 is a pretty long chapter, so in, in our passage is the last six verses of that chapter. So I'll give you a quick rundown of what happens before our passage, but first, this is what it says in Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. That's Luke 9, if you have your own Bible, if you want to follow along. Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. This is what it says. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, your word is truth. It is a truth that helps us to stand firm in a world that is full of falsehood and deceit. And it is the truth that convicts us when we choose a way that follows the lies that our flesh leads us to embrace. Help us to hear your truth today. Give us all a focus and a special attention to your word at this moment. Help us to lay aside our distractions, worries, and our cares, and to worship you in the hearing and preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there are three points from this passage that I, that I want to walk us through. And I'll reveal them as we get to them. So as I mentioned before, here's a quick rundown of what happens in Luke 9 before our passage, because it's a little relevant, right? So I'm going to go through this really quick. You guys ready? You going to follow along? You got me? Okay, here we go. One. Jesus sent the disciples out to the surrounding areas from where they were 
to preach the gospel and to heal people. Two, when the disciples came back, they took part in a miracle where Jesus fed over 20,000 people by multiplying just two fish and five loaves. Now, if you were here last week, I believe it was Gideon that talked about this miracle, and it's usually known as the feeding of the 5,000. But that really accounts for only men. So when you count for men, women, and children, it's about 20,000 people from two fish and five loaves. Three, about eight days after that, while Jesus was praying on a mountaintop with three of the disciples, God spoke to him through a cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about this event, but we don't have time to get into that right now. Now, what happened here is known as the transfiguration. Four, the next day, while being followed by a huge crowd, Jesus healed a boy who was possessed by a demon. Five, Jesus told the disciples that he would soon be arrested and crucified. Six, while on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus sent some of the disciples ahead of him to find a place for them all to eat and sleep in a Samaritan village. Now, the fact that it was a Samaritan village is important because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And remember, Jesus and the disciples are Jewish. Okay? So, once the Samaritans heard that Jesus was pretty much using their town as like a rest stop, like a pit stop sort of kind of situation, and said, well, you go along your way. Right? So they said, don't come here if you're going to be hanging around those people, right? And yeah, you know what that language is, the those people language, right? So that kind of describes the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. So now that leads us to verse 56, and they went on to another village. So now they're on their way to another village, and then this is what happens, our passage here. So we pick up right there. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, on its face, what this person says seems to be coming from a good place. But I think there's more going on here than what you might notice on the surface. My first point is follow Jesus for who he is. Follow Jesus for who he is. Now, as they left the Samaritan village, a crowd started to form. Now, we don't see those details here in Luke 9, but Matthew 8, verse 18 tells us this. Then again, back in verse 57, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. It doesn't say who this someone is here in Luke 9, but... Again, in Matthew 8, verse 19, it tells us that it was a scribe. Now, back in this time, scribes would draft and write laws. They were typically very smart and knowledgeable of the law, obviously, to have a job like that. They had a higher position in society, but also, though, the scribes, along with the Pharisees, were responsible for falsely accusing Jesus, which eventually led to his crucifixion. Now you got to ask yourself, why would a scribe tell Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go? He even calls him teacher, but 
I don't think that was genuine either. You see, think about that, right? So he's a scribe. His job is to know and write the law. Why would he call Jesus a teacher? I can imagine him saying, if anybody should be a teacher, it should be me, not Jesus. Who is this Jesus dude anyway? Right? I, can't, I can't lie, though. He is healing uh, and, and feeding people and uh, doing a bunch of miracles. Hmm. What if I flatter him by calling him teacher so I can get on the inside like those other 12 dudes? Yeah. Hmm. Then I have access to all the stuff they're doing and all the stuff they're, 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 they're getting from these miracles and whatnot. See, I think he wanted to follow Jesus because of what Jesus could give him or do for him, not simply for who Jesus is. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you uh, 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 are healing people. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you keep the food coming. Jesus, I'll follow you as, as long as you keep doing miracles. Jesus, I can overlook my hatred for you and follow you if there is possibly something in it for me. This scribe doesn't want to follow Jesus at all. He just wants what he thinks Jesus can give him. And Jesus, knowing his true motive, responds in verse 58 by saying, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I love how Jesus always gets down to the heart of the issue. He's saying that you want to follow me because of all the perks that you think come with it. But guess what? Following me isn't what you think it is. When Jesus was on earth, he wasn't necessarily poor, but he wasn't rich. He didn't have a huge estate, a court and servants and chariots. He wasn't dressed in the most expensive clothes. He lived a very simple life. And even further than that, he submitted himself to God the Father and relied on him to supply his every need. And he tells his followers to do the same. There are people out there, pastors out there, churches out there that will tell you that when you follow Jesus, he'll give you all the things you want and enrich your life and be the one that makes your hopes and dreams come true. He'll make you rich. And even further than that, the true sign of a life devoted to Jesus is a life of abundance, prosperity, and success. The more you have, the more blessed you are. But Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
There's nothing here about money, nothing there about material possessions, nothing there about mansions, gold, diamonds, Gucci, Fendi, Prada, foreign cars, none of that. There's also nothing in there about personal goals or selfish ambition. That's because the greatest blessing that we receive when we follow Jesus is Jesus himself. If you truly desire to follow Jesus, you need to follow Jesus for who he is. Not for what you think you can get from him. Now, but who is Jesus exactly, though? I mean, if I'm telling you that you need to follow Jesus for who he is, it might be wise to tell you who he is, right? So, I like the way John 1 says it. So so can I tell you what John 1 says about Jesus? Is that okay? Can I say that? Okay, all right. I need your help. I need your help, okay? All right, John 1, here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is talking about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who was at the father's side, he has made him known. This is who Jesus is. There ain't going to be any words that I can say or add to that. That's it. That is who Jesus is. Follow Jesus for who he is. Amen? Now back to Luke 9. So now we're going to zoom in on verses 61 and 62. Those verses say, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. My second point is, follow Jesus with all your heart. Follow Jesus with all your heart. Let's take a closer look at what this person says to Jesus. He says, first, I will follow you, Lord. 
So this person calls him Lord. So at the very least, he has reverence for Jesus. And at the most, he knows him in a saving way. He trusts in Jesus for his salvation. This reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, which says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So that's a good thing, right? This person clearly knows Jesus in a real way. But hold up. Hold up. Look at how Jesus responds to him. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. But wait, didn't 1 Corinthians just say that this person has the Holy Spirit? So how is Jesus now saying that he is not fit for the kingdom of God? Well, one part of that answer uh, to that question can be found in Matthew 7, verse 21, which says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So in other words, things are not always as they seem. There are people in churches across the world right now, and some in this very room, who by the way they pray and shout and sing and preach, you would be sure are genuine believers in Christ. They look the part, they act the part, they sound the part, like Sister Mary Clarence, but they don't live the part. In their everyday lives, they fail to do the will of the Father. This is especially true for that third category of person that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. Those who are on the fence. Every now and then, your emotions might get the best of you, and you'll close your eyes while singing in church and say, Yes, Lord with tears running down your face. Or you might sit there in your chair like you are right now and you hear something that really speaks to your heart that speaks to you from the sermon and shout, praise God. And the whole time, you are not doing the will of God because your mouth is professing a reality that your life is not reflecting. So that's one reason why Jesus might be saying that this person is not fit for the kingdom. But the second reason is that possibly because the the next thing the man says, which is after he calls Jesus Lord, he says, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. I want to zoom in on those those first four words of that phrase, but let me first. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, it was impossible to find face masks. At that time, everyone was still terrified and very cautious because we didn't know much about the virus, except that it was taking a lot of lives. Now, at that time, Charmaine's parents, if you don't know God, Charmaine's my wife, Charmaine's parents uh, got it in the very uh, beginning, like in that March, around that March um, time. And we were terrified. We prepared for the worst. 
And sometimes I think we forget just how scary those first couple of months were. So at some point in April of 2020, I heard from a friend that there was a store in Plainview selling not only face masks, but they had gloves, hand sanitizer, and toilet paper. You know it was hard finding toilet paper all over the place around. So, but you know, there was a crazy markup on it, but I said, hey, I have to go to this, to this store. So, the store opened at 8 a.m. the next day. First come, first serve. Next day came, I got up, got ready nice and early to head to the store. So, now can you imagine, as I left to go to the store, I said to Charmaine, babe, you know, I'm about to head to, to the store, but let me first go to my parents' house. She would give me the stank face. Yeah, yeah, you know the stank face. You know, you know the stank face. See, see, the stank face is the same face you make when you smell something funky, right? It's that when you, you, know, you frown up your face like that, right? In this situation, it's the look you have when you hear something that makes absolutely no sense. Complete foolishness, right? So this, this is what I'm talking about right here, okay? Now, now why would she giving me the stank face. Because even though stopping by my parents' house isn't a bad thing to do, what we're dealing with at the moment is important and urgent. Saying, but let me first means that I don't get it. My focus isn't on the task, right? My mind is divided. My energy isn't fully invested into making sure that I get to that store. So for this man, even though saying bye to those at home isn't necessarily a bad thing, it reveals something deeper about him. Once again, Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, one commentary says this about this verse. In plowing a field in that day, a farmer kept the road straight by focusing on an object in front and in the distance, such as a tree. If the farmer started to plow and kept looking behind, he would never make straight rows and do a good job plowing. In following Jesus, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus and never take our eyes off him. No plowman ever plowed a straight furrow looking back over his shoulder. If you are going to follow Jesus with all your heart, then you can't look back over your shoulder. It is impossible to walk a straight line while looking back. Trust me, I tried. It's impossible to walk a straight line looking back. There is nothing back there for you. Looking back only reveals a lack of contentment, a joy, desire, and love for Jesus. Jesus wants all of you. He wants all of us. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Matthew 7:14. The only way to keep yourself on the way and make it through the narrow gate is to keep your eyes on Jesus and don't look back. 
This is what it looks like to follow Jesus with all your heart. Now, my last point comes from verse 59 and 60 of our passage in Luke 9. Now, if you notice, I did this out of order. I talked about the first two verses where we got our point, follow Jesus for who he is. Then the last two verses, follow Jesus with all your heart. And now the verses in the middle. And the reason for that is because there is something unique about the, these two verses that doesn't occur in the other ones. So, so here's what it says in verses 59 and 60. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In the other verses, the others say to Jesus, I will follow you. In these verses, Jesus says to this man, follow me. Now, where else do you see Jesus do this? Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two, older bro- two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. These verses talk about Jesus calling his disciples. Notice their response. Immediately, right away, they left their jobs and families behind. They dropped everything and followed Jesus. This is the exact opposite of how this man answers Jesus. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. You're probably saying to yourself, why would Jesus have a problem with this man burying his dead father, though? That seems kind of harsh, right? Well, that's not exactly what's going on here. His father probably has not actually died. He's probably not even on his deathbed. and He may not even be sick. So culturally, Jesus understood that what this man meant was that he wanted to go home spend time with his family, including his father, wait until his father died, have the funeral, and then come and follow Jesus. This could take years, decades maybe. And better yet, the Bible calls this person a disciple. That's how Matthew 8.21 refers to him. Now, obviously, That was just a title he was given. He isn't a true disciple. Pastor Eric Mason of Epiphany Fellowship in Philly gives a definition of disciple that I love. He says, 
A disciple is one who has renounced himself or herself and has pledged to be in a lifelong apprenticeship to Jesus Christ. To renounce yourself is to abandon or deny yourself. Mark 8, 34 says, if anyone would come after me, this is Jesus talking, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is true discipleship. This is what following Jesus is all about. Laying down everything you hold dear and sacrificing your desires all for the purpose of following Jesus. But not only that, it's about learning and growing in Christ. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 14, 26. A disciple not only lays down her life, but she also commits to learning from Jesus. In his response to the disciple, Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Like I said before, this might seem harsh, but only from an earthly perspective. So let me explain what I mean in this way. So millions of people think that their believing loved ones who've died are watching over them in heaven, okay? Now, the Bible says that we are present with the Lord if we're absent from the body or when we've died. So they are with Jesus. They ain't thinking about you. I'm sorry to tell you, they're not. They are with the risen Savior, the King, the creator of all things. So <laughs> they are not thinking about you. But find comfort, guys. They, you know, they loved you dearly. I'm, I know they did. Now, in a similar way, though, Jesus, Jesus called to this man to go and proclaim the kingdom of God supersedes anything else in his life, including his family. Another way to think about this is that Jesus is calling him to life and to leave the dead and dying world behind him. Now, as I said in the beginning of the sermon, exactly 54 years ago today, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his final speech. The next day, April 4th, he would be assassinated. Now, what is the significance of that for you? Well, to answer that, I'll have to give you my third and final point. Follow Jesus today. Like Dr. King, you may not have tomorrow. Like the disciple, you can't assume that you can hold off on following Jesus because your life could be cut short before you get to it. I want you to follow Jesus for who he is. I want you to follow Jesus with all your heart. But I want you to follow Jesus today because today is all you might have. 
Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Follow Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much once again for your word. We thank you for the reminder, if we know you, God, to follow you. To continue to follow you in our lives and to be led by the Spirit in our decisions and the things that we choose to involve ourselves with, the people that we choose to associate with. And we pray that those things will bring you glory. But if we don't know you, if there are people here who don't know you, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, that you would open their minds, and that you would prick them in their hearts, Lord, Father God, to uh, respond to the call to follow you today. Truly, Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds for us. All we know is this moment that you've given us. I pray that if there's somebody here that does not know you, that's on the fence, that you cause them, that you call them, and that, that they answer that call to you, God, to follow me. Follow me today. Follow me now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.